I hope the content I provide today will really be helpful in serving of your audience. Yes, actually, uh, you're the epitome of what Dead America is about. <laughs> uh, that's very sweet of you, and very I find that very flattering. But I just do. I've just always chosen to do what I had to do and do the next thing. It was never. I didn't have a choice in the sense of the circumstances I had to figure out, but I've always chosen to. I'm just going to do what I have to do. There was no question for me. Add us, add us to your favorites. Add us to your favorites. Add us to your favorites. Are we on the air? Yes, you are. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be around this wild, wacky, and sometimes disturbing world of ours. Yes, that's the intro to the Mindset Podcast, a weekly attempt to open eyes and shedding light on what's really going on in the world, all done by ripping apart the media madness that masquerades as news. Join me, Gareth Davis, every Sunday on the Mindset Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting services such as iTunes, Stitcher, and so on. Or you can go directly to the main Mindset website. That's www.mindsetcentral.com. Check out the Mindset Podcast. Bring your curiosity, your opinions, and a sense of humor. And remember that some worldviews are stranger than others. Welcome to the Dead America podcast. It's time to learn something new right now. Let's listen in with your host, Ed Waters, as he learns new things and meets new people. Today, we have Michaela Cox with us. Michaela, could you please introduce yourself and let people know just a little bit about you? Well, Ed, I'm an open book, so I'll tell you whatever you want to know. But as far as a way of introduction, I am, as you said, Michaela Cox. I'm a six-time author, soon to be seven. I live in Louisiana now. I'm a solo mom. I have two beautiful children who are my world. Um, I've had an interesting journey. I like to call it um, 38 triple D, a uh, journey of going from much tribulation to thriving in all things in life, no matter what throws at you, including a lifelong disability from birth of legal blindness, a divorce of 26, that was an interesting chapter. And then in 2017, uh, we lost my uh, beloved spouse, the father of my children. So... Three Ds, disability, divorce, and death by the age of 38. That's a very interesting marketing scheme. Uh, uh, brilliant, actually. Well, it, it kind of is a, a little provocative, maybe, depending on your definition, and kind of gets the attention, like, what the heck is she talking about? I, I might want to know about that. I may not. I don't know, but I'm going to find out marketing is a good part of what you do you're an author and you've written several books so be outside of the box and be open and willing to throw yourself out there like that is great and you'll do well in the marketing instance by just being able to do stuff like that i took on the dead america logo 
came out of sort of that, you know, apprehension of should I do this or shouldn't I? Right. But yet the marketing behind it is brilliant. So I congratulate you on that. Thank you. It, the outside of boxing thinking, um, I mean, I don't, know, I don't always do great, but you know, I do what I can. But it came from when you have to learn to adapt in a world that is 90%, we take things in sensory-wise, uh, visually, and your vision is pretty much shot. <laughs> So your body and you do it a different way, well, then you kind of have to, I don't want to say beat the system, but you have to navigate in different ways. And so you think outside of the box if you want to do anything with it. You can't do it like everybody else. So I've had a lifetime of adjusting and adapting and, you know, compensating because the body does that. When you lack in one area, they'll make up for it in other ones, um, other ways. Um, And just doing it in the way that allowed me to still function and create what I've created and get to where I'm at despite having to do it in a different manner. So it kind of makes you or forces you or, or if you want to do well to think outside of the box. So. That's very unique. You know, a lot of disabled people, they find out they can overcome and we find out people can do anything once they put their mind and effort behind what they want to get done. It may, you you may need help. You may need, you know, certain things to get it done, but there's always a way to get it done. And your journey is very unique because most people being born blind and then what was it around seven, you kind of captured a little bit of sight. I was seven months old. Um, I was born totally blind, and then at seven months old, um, I'm not sure what your background is or how much of your audience delves into this part of life, but I'm faith-based. I grew up in a Christian home, and I consider myself a Christian, but so we believe that God decided to step in and give me my sight, or most of it, enough where it brought me to a point of being able to see versus not at all. And we consider it a miracle, but I still have, and that is a blessing, and I'm grateful, but I still contend with the leftover part that is not so much perfect vision (laughs) and still, you know, do what I can to go out and get what I want and and do my best to achieve it. Yeah, I lived most of my life 100% healthy, a go-getter, able to do whatever I want, whenever I wanted. And then when I fell and I become disabled, it sent me through this whirlwind of doubt and I've never been there before and I was never scared of anything in my life and here I am, you know, in in my middle ages going through this change. We it's all an adjustment. go through change. Yeah, it's an adjustment. And I think there's something to be said. Um there's Three, four things I'm thinking of right now I'd like to add to the dialogue. I, while my whole life has been an adjustment, I've never taken a breath where it wasn't from a different point of view because I've always been disabled. It's always been. It's never been different. It never will be different. So why does a constant adjustment? It's a different type of adjustment when it's all you've ever known as opposed to, I don't want to be insensitive, but you said it yourself, when someone in your shoes or any other person in your shoes is used to a different reality of normalcy or what most people do. And then all of a sudden your world gets 
flips and turned upside down because you're brought into it and it's not what you know. Well, that's very true, you know, because uh, a lot of people that don't actually know what disability truly is, they're insensitive to it and they don't really Our think about it. Culture is extremely insensitive to it. I mean, I love America, don't get me wrong, and I'm I'm a patriot. I mean, matter of fact, my next book is about we the people and everything, but our culture, for all the things we get right, <laughs> we have screwed the disabled population. I'm sorry. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it, and a lot of people don't want to admit to it, and a lot of people don't want to deal with it. And that's why it is, yes, we have the ADA, the American Disabilities Act, for anyone who may be listening and not know what we're talking about in 1990, but what people also don't realize, and I'm not saying that everyone is not entitled or should not have had wrongs done against their ethnicity or their racial and their lack of rights. That's all well and good, but for all of the civil rights and the black rights and the gay rights, which is all fine, it should be, but the disabled rights is the last one and the bottom one on the totem pole in this country. We didn't have decent legislation on the book in this country until 31 years ago. And it's still crappy because there's still holes in it. <laughs> yes. yes. It has never been corrected. And quite honestly, for anyone who does follow politics, I'm not – no, I did like her personally, but that's not why I'm bringing this up. Until 2008, until we had a female VP candidate who has had to live, although not herself, but by raising a child who is disabled, who was willing to put those issues on a national stage. And had she been elected with John McCain, we may have been actually able to get some traction. That is the first time. And why should any group in America, I don't care if you're purple, I don't care if you're blue, it's not the point, and I don't care what your situation is, why should you have to wait that long to be addressed in what you need in this country? That is ridiculous. And no one wants to talk about it. Well, this is how we change things. We together we start talking we have dialogue about it and yes. we address these issues because like you just stated there's a lot of slop in the disability laws uh, a lot of people they don't think enough and you know we we run things by committee a lot of the time yes and these committees they're not necessarily disabled per se they and you can't, yes, and you can't do anything about or understand where you haven't walked. And why should you dictate something you know nothing about right. to someone who's done it? It's stupid. I mean, and you can't understand it. I mean, I don't want anyone to be disabled. It's horrible in a lot of ways. But you don't want anyone to go through it. But if you haven't gone through it, then how can you really be expected to address it? It's moronic. Yes. yes. And, and, you know, I went through a process. I wanted to get on to the disability advocacy group here in Oregon, and it's so partisan, you know? Yes. And it's driven by a partisan base, and we really need to get off of that. And these committees, if we are going to listen to them, they should be inclusive and yes. open and for all people to join in the debate and so many of us disabled people are thrown to the wayside and our opinion really yep. doesn't matter because we're used up now even and, though we're the ones who are living it and still exactly. need things i mean 
And the other thing about the committee situation of the structure, a lot of times, no matter what side of the aisle it's on, it's bureaucracy and it's red tape and you can't get anything done. That's right. Never mind the fact that they don't even know what the crap they're talking about because <laughs> they haven't lived it. And the other thing that I think goes into the equation of what you referenced first um, about you can do anything you want once you put your mind to it with effort, it's also about a choice. Yes. Now, that's not to say that the choices sometimes are extremely difficult or that it is not – it takes everything and you can make that choice. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to choosing what you want, especially when you're disabled because the world ain't going to give it to you. They dang sure are going to hand it to you. <laughs> they need true. they need to the, the disabled population need to give that up themselves. That notion of they owe it no, they don't owe you a damn thing. Excuse my friend. They don't owe you a damn thing. And they're not gonna do it. You better be ready to do it for yourself. And if you want it done right, you better do it yourself. And you're gonna have to fight like hell because this country ain't gonna give it to you. That's right. That's and they words don't care. wisdom. That's words of wisdom right there. So And so you're gonna have to choose yes, you may not have been had a choice in what you were handed. You may not be, I've been using this analogy lately, you may not have a choice in if you're in a, the, the hand you were dealt, like if you're playing a poker game or if you're an artisan and the material, like you're told you're being commissioned for a job, this is what I want you to do. And you may not like that, but you're still an artist. You still are a poker player. You can figure out strategically how to play your hand to benefit you. And as an artist, you can choose what you do if once you've been given. It's just like that for anybody in any hard situation. I can choose what I want to do despite a disability. Is it easy? Do I have to sometimes fight wanting to do something else? Yeah. But it's still on me to choose it at the end of the day. Right. And the satisfaction that you get when you overcome these mm -hmm. difficulties, it's, it's a feeling of immense worth. And yes. Everybody can take value from this, and that's why you're important and your voice, it matters because when you're courageous enough to stand up and talk out about these things, people listen. And when people listen, that's how we get action. What's it like being disabled and a single mother, I take it? Yes. I am. I have been for almost four years now. It's more challenging than when I was a mom and I had a loving spouse that got my disability and had no problem supporting me and everything. And he was wonderful. He understood that I couldn't, even though he knew I was smart and intelligent and courageous and admired me for what I was able to do. But still, at the end of the day, there's limitations and things that no matter how hard you work, you're not going to get around it. Like, I can't drive, okay? There's no getting around that. It is what it is. I, I can't make that change. Right. So, so, so I how can, do you augment that? Exactly. So he was great about, well, I know you can't go do what you want sometimes, so I'm going to take you. And he loved it because he knew that was loving for me, and he wanted to help me. So now that I don't have that, it does add extra layers. So sometimes I have to go dig back in my toolbox of how I did it before he was in my life and I have to be a stronger planner, which I've always been a stronger planner because that's how I get things done. Because it's not as simple as I just wanted like you were saying, I'm you're used to just going and doing what you wanted, if you wanted, how you wanted, when you want. My life doesn't work that way. I have to be strategic in okay, this day I need to go do this errand. Well in order to make sure I can do it on that day, I have to have a plan in place and of course that one falls. So 
it's a lot of planning, it's a lot of organization, and it's a lot of structure, which is fine. I've gotten used to it over almost 42 years, but it still requires me to do it. So I have to be more diligent in orchestrating what I need to do for me and for my children to ensure that they get to what they need to do. And that's yeah, relying that on friends and family or whatever. And I don't live in an area where there's good um, mass transit. So it's a lot of friends and family, especially friends. So what inspires you to write so many books? I am a writer. I cannot not not write. It's what I do. It's who I am. It's my essence. I, if I'm not writing, I'm thinking about it. I, I've never remembered it in my time where I was not writing. I mean, I was writing as early as, obviously, it's not what I write now, but I was writing poetry in fourth grade. I was the weird kid that, kid, excuse me, that got the idea in her head in second grade to go write an editorial. Okay, I don't know many second graders that decide to submit an editorial to their local newspaper, but I did. And so it's just, it's, it's, I think it's what I've been given because I am not in the position of, I can go work a nine to five job for a lot of reasons. So I can make my own way through my voice and my words and sharing the messages and truth and wisdom and lessons learned that has come from a life lived with a disability first, then divorce, and then loss of a spouse, and now raising kids on my own. Yeah, that's it's given me a lot of material. It's true what they say. Well, don't kill you. It gives you something to write about. <laughs> yeah. What inspired you most often through your life to stick with this ambition of writing? It was what I was called to do. I knew I had a message, a truth. Even before I went through all the other stuff I went through, the fact that I was born blind and was able to see I felt like God had a purpose for my life and even though I had a lot of trying tribulation and suffering it was something that he could use and because I was going through those certain struggles then that meant I had something I could share with the world of going through something that not everyone goes through although there's a lot of people who are disabled and each disability is different but it's still something that's different and unique than from the average and then that was the first layer and then when you add divorce and a very interesting first marriage that's not the norm and then you add um death of my spouse at 38 and being a solo mom it just adds a lot of layers to whether i wanted those lessons or knowledge or not it still gives me insight and a different perspective on things okay so what is the vision and the scope of your writings i'm mainly nonfiction. i have my first book was poetry, um, but then I had in 2006, and I don't know how your audience will feel about this, I have a little guilty indulgence of I like sex in the city. It's a TV show that was on HBO. And I learned from that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird. Um, I saw the main character, who was um, Carrie Bradshaw, that was played by Sarah Jessica Parker, and what she did for work was is she wrote her own column about her observations and um, – food for thought on, you know, all these things related to men and women and gender roles and gender identity and dating and romance in our culture. And so I had the brainstorm based off of saying, well, if she can write, even though it was fiction, if a person can write a column or articles on their own passions and observations, I can write them on my own passions and observations tied to what I'm passionate about, such as religion and faith base. And then when I became a mom, motherhood and parenting, and then when I completed my master's in political science in 2016, I thought, well, 
I can write on politics as well. So a lot of what my series are right now are these various things on what I just noticed in culture or our world. And like, wait a minute, that's interesting. Or I think that's worth starting a dialogue of. It's not about me convincing someone that I'm right and they're wrong or they need to believe this. It's more of, let's consider this. Let's start the dialogue. Let's start the conversation because yeah. we need to consider it. I don't care what you do with it, but food for thought. Let's start thinking. Let's, hey, this is an interesting perspective. And then I will be starting one on my own life this year. And then um, I have gotten the notion when I was a new mom in New Hampshire, because that's where my husband was stationed at the time, and I was in grad school because I had the brilliant idea that I have an eight-month-old and I'm a new mom, but I need to add grad school to my plate. I don't know how intelligent that was, but I survived it. <laughs> I don't know if it was the best timing in the world, but whatever. And I was always feeling tethered and afraid of I need to be being a wife and a mom and a grad student and I have schoolwork. And because of my vision, it takes me 10 longers to do it, 10 times longer to do anything. So when I got out of grad school, I got 20 to 50 hours back in my work week. That was not a job. I don't work when I'm in school. School is my job. That is all I do because I'm good at it. But what it takes for me to be good at it is way longer than most people. So I don't have time for anything else. And so I felt like I was always torn and I was missing out on things. So I felt like I needed to write a book at some point, although I didn't know what to do with it, about things I didn't want her to miss. And then I had a child, too, my son. And, I, you know, I sat on all these writing ideas that I had while I was in grad school because I wrote in grad school. That's all you do. But it was for professors. It wasn't my stuff. And then when I got out, I took all these ideas and percolations and brainstorms and mind dumps that I'd had in grad school and organized it, and I started writing. And so I guess last year, because it came out, yeah, last year, uh, 2020, I took, I felt more urgency with my husband being gone about we as parents say all the time, this is important, you need to remember this kid. But when it really comes down to what are the really important ones, I mean, parents, what we say is goes because they need to learn to obey, but it's all important. But what are the really important ones that if it came down to it, and you knew you only had one day left on earth for your kids, what would you want to leave with them that they have to carry with them for the rest of their lives? And so I decided before they leave my home and go out into the world as adults and travel their own journey, I want them to have a collection of food for thought and lessons of wisdom and truth to carry with them as they travel their own journey. And my husband and I were in agreement on those things. And I knew that since he's no longer here, he would want them to know what he would want to pass on to them. So I felt compelled to write it in a book, and that's going to be five or six books in that series, and that one's called Before the Clock Strikes Midnight. So I do that one as well. That's a really long answer to your question, but there you go. No, we love long answers. <laughs> that's, that's what podcasts are about. <laughs> then I'm your girl because I can talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Uh, I want to dive into losing your partner. I've been married since 1985. I've been with my wife together since 1983. It's a long time. And amazing. I, I respect that, and I, I think that's amazing to have those stories because I think that even though a lot of times in divorce there are good reasons for it, although divorce is messy and never good. But that's right. That's something that a lot of people, I don't know if our culture really, there was a time in our country where you never heard of divorce for better or for worse, but now it's like half of the population is divorced, so I don't know if it's seen in the reverence and respect and admiration as it used to once upon a time was and the value of having that experience of journeying and being with who you're supposed to your whole life and really just traveling and living the adventure together. I mean, it's what I always wanted, but 
unfortunately I've been divorced and the person I was going to have that with is no longer. So I'm trying to figure out what do I do now as far as on that front. But yes, I respect that. And my parents have been married this year. They got married in 74. So I don't know. I'm losing count. 47 years coming up in November, I think. Well, duration in a relationship, it's, it's hard. You know, you, you have to meet certain challenges and they will come up. Oh, yes. You know, but getting back to what I wanted to touch here about losing your spouse, it's not easy. And me as a man, I look at this very heavily because I'm over 55 and I'm, you know, looking at any time. We all do all the time, but as you age, you start thinking of these things a little more and for me to leave my wife it scares me a little bit so for those women out there that suffer losses like losing their best friend their mate how do you handle that and how do you get through that well it's messy, it's complicated, it's difficult. Some days are better than others. Some days are easier than others. Some are not. And a lot of what I'm going to say is going to sound very cliche and annoying because that's the very thing you don't want to hear, but it doesn't discount the truth and the wisdom of it nonetheless, especially depending on where that person may be in their grief journey because it is a journey. It is a process. It's always evolving. It's not as simple as, okay, I've accomplished that, checked it off the list, now moving on. No, it doesn't work that way. I hate to burst anyone's bubble. And it's not as linear as our culture would like for it to make it out to be in studies and past and studies as we're proceeding on and more knowledge about the human emotion and heart and brain. It's not as linear as we've been led to believe. And just because you go from one stage doesn't mean the other one can't come back to bite you in the butt and say, I'm still here. You're still dealing with me. Um. I think a lot of what I have to say um, applies to a good um, range of life situations that are equally true and valuable to all of them, disability, divorce, any challenges, death, and what I would say to a lot of them, and this is to me is one of the most important, is it is your journey. You have to make it your journey. No one else can tell you how to travel it. Yes, grief is grief is grief, and loss is loss is loss. And it's a similar journey, but it's still unique in the sense that we are all individuals that are unique, who have unique experiences. And we, although it's the same journey, you come to it in different ways, different manners, different methods. So it's going to create some nuances that are going to be different from each person. So you are responsible in knowing and owning that this is your journey and is yours and yours alone. And no one can tell you how to live something they know nothing about. And they don't get to dictate it to you, and you shouldn't feel bad about that. Second of all, as I said earlier, it's a choice. It's a hard choice, but it is a choice nonetheless. I've had to choose for myself and my children what I'm going to do with this journey as I am now the leader of this family. And it's on me, and it's up to me to demonstrate that and keep myself always making those choices whatever that may be and whatever I want that to look like for them and for me. But it is a choice. I have to choose and decide, do I want this or do I want that? And oftentimes it's our choices that make us who we are, shape us, and help us end up at the destination that we are going towards. Because 
if you make one choice, you'll end up in one different place. And if you choose the other, it'll take you a different direction. The second of all, I feel like um, mindset is everything. To me, this has been probably the most difficult piece because it's real easy when certain thoughts come into your head and you may not choose what comes into your head, but you do get to choose what you do with that thought and how you let it, um, I don't want to say dictate, but uh, kind of steer your course and which direction you go in. My, there's a reason why people have said the expression mind over manner um, because mindset does matter. And depending on how you choose to believe or feel or think, now you may not choose a, what you're feeling and it may come to you and you have every right to feel what you feel and to process it as you should because that's going to help you on your journey. And your emotions, you have a title to, but it's more of what we do with them than it is that we have them. Now, like I said, I've, depending on what day it is, I might be at the more healthier end of the spectrum or better end of the spectrum, and it's a good day, or not so much on another day. As a matter of fact, I'm going to come up on a hard week in March and April when it was my husband's birthday, and the, the week later, the anniversary of his death. That'll be a hard week, so it won't be as easy as, okay, my kids are at school today, and I'm kind of doing my own thing. But I still get to consider the mindset that I want to stay with. Do I want to try and be positive? Do I want to try and be negative? Do I want to say this sucks and let that derail me and paralyze me in the fear that I have? Yeah, I'm I'm a strong person. I'm pretty independent and confident, but that doesn't mean that mentally that I'm not considering the fears that I have of having to be on this journey and keep going forward, which would be enough in and of itself for anyone. But because I do have the extra caveat of now managing this on my own with a disability that does not afford me the same options as everyone else. So it makes it more complicated of something that's already complicated and messy, but I still get to choose, even though I may be feeling fearful inside of me, I still have to go forward and not forward. I don't really like that word. Keep traveling on and doing what I have to do and doing what's best for me and my children. So I get to choose the mindset that's either going to help that effort or maybe hinder it. And that's up to me. So I have to be mindful of my mindset. And to me, that's a game changer. Is it always easy? No. But it does impact it as to how you'll travel your journey and what direction it takes you. Third of all, and this is a struggle, has always been a struggle for me. And I think it is for a lot of women, really, truthfully. Um, self-care. A lot of times women will say, I don't have time for self-care. I've got the house. I've got the kids. I've got the husband. I've got the job. I've got the whatever. Fill in the blank. Make your list. Talk, look at all the hats you wear as women, and they're depending on me, and if I don't do it, then it's all going to go to crap, and, you know, you know, I can't take care of myself. But what we don't realize as women a lot of times is we have a well, and men too, I just think it's different, you know, because we're made differently and we do different things. We have different roles, so it impacts us differently. But women, and because I'm a woman, so I'm speaking out of that point of view, we have a well that's only so deep, and if we're always giving out water to feed the thir- to ensure that the people around us uh, thirst is being quenched, then we're running dry, and at some point we're going to dry up, and we're not going to have anything else left to give. And then we can't do all those things that is depending on us, or that we may want to do, to be the people we need to be for our our families and kids. So I think for women we have to remember that. 
doing self-care, whatever that looks like for you, praying, meditation, going out with girlfriends, taking a night off, deciding, yeah, it's okay, really go take that nap because I'm dead tired. <laughs> Working out or exercising or whatever that thing is for you, whatever that looks like for you, taking time for you to give some time to yourself to rejuvenate and replenish and kind of recoup so you can keep doing what you want to do and being who you want to be and need to be. It's not a bad thing. It's not selfish. It's actually one of the best things you can do. And the other part of that caveat is not feel guilty about it, which I think women do. They'll think, oh, my God, I just five minutes for myself. I should have been doing the laundry or whatever, fill in the blank, or I should have been working on a paper or whatever your thing is. But don't feel guilty about it because you're actually helping you and whoever else you're responsible for. Now, I will admit when I was in grad school and a young mother, that was not easy for me. It's become easier, and I have probably allowed myself more indulgences of time for self-care in the last four years because um, I did have a choice, and I know I do have a choice. The journey of grief, it becomes a matter of sanity and survival. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't make it out, period. There's no getting around it. So I've had to be a lot more willing to give in to, yeah, that pile of laundry or dishes or that paper or that chapter I need to write, it's going to be there after I wake up and feel refreshed. It's not going anywhere. And the world's not going to crumble if I go be with myself for five minutes or go journal or go talk, take a phone call that would really help me keep my mindset on the right track or whatever that thing is that I need for myself. Does that make sense? Yes, it's very important. You know, empowering each other. You know, it's very important. I'm going to speak as a husband here to all of those husbands out there, young husbands, old husbands. We all need to empower and make sure our wives are educated in every aspect of our lives because we never know when these shortfalls, these shortcomings happen. You know, things can occur and I've recognized within my own life that very thing that you just talked about that need to just take care of yourself you feel guilty about it and I'm really trying to understand how to help my wife change the feeling of hey life's really hard for everybody anyway you don't need to feel guilty because you don't feel like doing something right now we need right. to work together empower each other and if there's a slack it's our responsibility it's our responsibility as a husband to pick up that slack and it's easy to forget and just Oh, it gets done. She has no problem with it. But that's not being mindful of each other. And I right. think that's very important. If I mean, I've I've said it before. Yeah. Sex starts in the kitchen. I don't want to get provocative, but it, and I don't mean that you're going to go have it on the dining room table. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine too. You're you're consenting adult, but whoever's out there. But what I mean by that is. How we treat each other in the day-to-day -day end, like you're saying, will totally impact if that woman's willing to enjoy intimate time together after a long day. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and my wife, 
brings that up once in a while. And if if you don't talk to your husband and rationally without hate and violence or, you know, some sort of feeling or emotion, you have to be able to sit down and talk to each other about these situations. It's it's critical for a relationship. Agreed. So let's switch focus here a little bit to your books. You've written quite a few books. I notice you say coming out February. We are recording this in later February of 2021. You have a book coming out February or March of 2021 called We the People Are. Correct. What is this book about? Um, it's, it's politics, but it's not politics in the sense of bureaucracy or one side of the aisle or not. Um, like I said, I have a master's in um, political science and American government, and I was raised with a passion for politics, yes, from an academic standpoint, but more of this is who we are as a country, and this is what we do as patriots, and uh, we need to understand who we are. I will self-admit I'm a conservative, um, but above all, regardless of my own personal political persuasions, I'm a constitutionalist. If we as individuals, meaning members of we the people, and then collectively together, do not understand the importance of we the people and what our job is in this country, and it really is our country. I don't care what Capitol Hill says. They forget that, and they need to be reminded of it. We will not have a country left to enjoy because we won't be able to protect the thing that we don't know and understand. So I don't really have an opinion as to if you, meaning anyone as in our country, agree with the way the system is right now, like it, don't like it, agree with it, don't agree with it, then go change it. But it's like any sport. If you don't understand the rules of the game, you can't play it. So in America, if you don't understand who we are, what we are, how we were founded and where we came from and the way it's supposed to be, you won't know what you're supposed to be defending and you won't know how to change it. So I'm a proponent of constitutionalism. I'm a proponent of understanding this profound truth. Now, what you do with that truth is your business for your political persuasion. But all Americans need to be well-informed, well-educated, and understand this unequivocal, immensely pivotal point of we the people. And if you don't get that, our country's in a lot bigger problems than we realize. That's just my opinion. I agree with that. We are at that point where our system, it is the best system of governance that has been adopted and implemented on this planet to date. And I don't see anything replacing it that would be much better. We have imperfections in our system. That's why our document is a breathing document, as they say, and our people have the power of change. Now, this change is blocked in certain areas because you don't want a very progressive attitude and quick change because that can always bite you. So our Our system is meant to be slow and really ponder what has to happen, and we've lost that. You should write more about this, and political science gets 
deep. A lot of people don't get into civics and how governance works, and it gets very complicated. Like you said earlier, everybody should be well-educated and informed. That's what makes our system work. Well, that's when we understand the system, we know what we're supposed to be protecting and defending because I, I forget, I'm not looking at it, and I may have included it at the back, but one forefather said something along the lines of, it's yours, it's in your hands. It's Basically, it's yours to protect. If you're not going to do it, it's going to go away. So if we don't know what it is ours to protect as we the people and that it's ours to protect, we will lose it, Yeah. literally lose it, and we would have gambled what was entrusted to us as we the people if we don't understand it and know how to ensure what we're supposed to be ensuring as we the people and that it is ours to do so. Yeah, and Ben Franklin, as he came out, he said, <clears throat> we gave you today a republic. It's up to you to keep it. Yes, so, exactly. That's what I was trying to go for. It wasn't coming to me. <laughs> that's all right. The, the aspect is there, and it's critical for people to understand that because – we we do need to educate, and I I love this Constitution. I love the prospect of all men are created equal. Yes. And yes, our our growth it it has had its lumps and bumps. Definitely. All it takes is good dialogue, communication with each other and understanding the needs of people. We can push forward in this union. It's critical that Agreed. We, we just need to really start talking more and more. And that's why it's critical for people like you keep writing and getting out there, speaking out about it. And I like to push it whenever I can. We're not perfect. But nope. we're we're here to stay, and we intend to play. That's the provided we preserve it and maintain it. That's right. That's the attitude we need to take. We all have learning to do. We have Ted, to learn from each other. Right. I think that's why Ted Cruz's new book. I haven't had a chance to read it. Is equally important because he wrote it and saying we were one vote away. If we don't sit up and pay attention and realize how close and how delicate it is and how easily it can slip through our fingers, it will slip through our fingers. That's right. So, you know, democracy is delicate, but we have to remember we're not a democracy. We are a republic, and yep. that means we are a rule of law. Correct. And if we want the law to change, we have to understand how to change it. Agreed. So, yeah, what what other books do you intend to come out with, and how often do you intend to release books? I'm, I try and stay on a tight schedule, but a lot of times um, it depends on – this is the technical side of book production. Like if your formatter is up or your cover design is behind or your editor. So, I mean, I can write them and knock them out and, and crank them out, but it's not always up to me because – I'm a writer and a writer alone. I don't edit. I don't do cover design, and I definitely don't want to do formatting. But um, I'm hoping I got a little behind because of the world of COVID and being a mom and all the other things I do. So I will be releasing the book we were just speaking of in um, 
March. I was hoping in November for the election, but it didn't happen. My my uh, perfectionist feathers will just have to deal, but whatever. Um, that one will be coming out very shortly. I want to start writing the first book in the new series about my life story, and hopefully to have that one out in June. The second religious one that I'm writing right now, I would like to think we could be out in April or May, depending on how fast the other parts of the book production process go. Uh, the one on my own life that I want to write this year, I hope to have out in June. And then the second one and the one I was referring to for my children of behind uh, before the clock strikes midnight, I want out in August. And then Motherhood 2 and 3, I want to come out in the fall. That's wonderful. If I, you know, if I get the way if I get it the way I want it. <laughs> uh, I, I'd like to add to your uh, <laughs> book writings, if I may. I would like to suggest that you write a book explaining to people that have blindness and they want to share their story. How do you write a book? Um. Well, like I said, that's an interesting question, believe it or not, because most disabilities, even though they're the same beast, no matter what type it is, especially in vision, you could have 100 people in one room with the exact same condition. And either because it came from a different, like a person came to it differently or it affects them differently, it's going to be a totally different animal for each person. It's really weird. It's kind of intriguing and fascinating at the same time. So while I am legally blind, um, I work at my own speed, so I might be able to write for two or three hours, and then my eyes said, you know what, when you're insane, you better let us rest, or you're not going to do anything else today visually. Like, okay, fine. So I'll go take a break, and then I'll come back to it, and then um, that's how I do it. Um, the program that I use for putting out of these books on what's called Amazon KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, for the ones who aren't in the self-publishing world and don't know what that stands for, is Amazon's own publishing company. They talk about writing a book in 90 days. Now, I take a little bit longer because of my vision. That's me, but that's fine. Um, because they dictate it. I don't, even though that would probably serve me better as a visually impaired person, I don't like dictating things when I don't have to because the way my creative brain works, I work out a lot of what I want to say and write by actually physically, not physically, but taking the physical action of typing it out because then that's the way my brain processes. So I'll write for a couple hours each day and then go do whatever else I have to do and then come back to it. I've uh, experienced a few blind people and the way they work around things just fascinate me and it's just perseverance. It is. Overcome. It's basically choice. It's mindset. It's, um, Choosing to want to kick butt and do what you have to do and hunker down and fight for it and tenacity and sheer willpower and determination and persistence and not quitting. Yeah, you can. And not letting someone tell you no is actually how a lot of things I decided in my life. The doctors told my parents she'll probably never do well in school. She'll probably never get better or see. And I basically said, Screw you. I'm going to do what the hell I want. Don't tell me no. I'm going to just do it just to prove your ass wrong. Sit back, yeah. hold my beer, and watch. Okay? Yeah. Don't yeah. tell this redhead, firecracker, Texan, Southern girl what I can and cannot do because I'll do it just to prove your ass wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I've done most of my life. 
excuse my French, but that's what it boils down to. And once again, it goes to your to your choices and your mindset. Yep, that's exactly right. You can feel your power, and it it projects out there. So, how can people hook up with you, find your books, and get a hold of you if they have a speaking engagement or anything that they may want you to do? All of my books are on Amazon. That's where I predominantly publish until I decide to get into expanded distribution, which what that means is you want to be outside of the Amazon world and be in brick and mortar, which I probably will do at some point. I have a web page, and I'm on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. Um, I don't – the number that I called to speak with you, is that something I could text you some information for you to get out to your audience? You you can actually send it to podcast at okay. getamerica.website. That's probably the best okay. way to do that. I will get you that information. And then the other part of what I would say to your audience is, in addition to choice, having uh, making a choice in mindset and self-care, when you do get stumped or stop, or something comes up that you can't seem to figure out, don't be afraid to get help and ask for resources. I've had to use resources my whole life to get around things. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not a weakness. It's just, it's actually smart. It's saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if I have to ask for help to accomplish it and not willing to let that stop you just because you don't have something you need. That is powerful because myself, I have that very trouble, you know, asking for help is something we all struggle with, but we all need it. That's for sure. I want to say thank you very much, and I want to inspire you to keep going. Thank you for being on the show, and have a beautiful day, Michaela. Same to you, and thank you so much. I'm glad we got to have this very good and, I think, interesting and helpful dialogue. Yes, I think it will help a lot of people. You All right. You too. Thank you for listening in to the podcast episode today. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Also, please follow us on any of your podcast players. Or if you'd like to get a little more personal with us and really identify what we truly are about and get involved with what we are doing, make sure you go over to the Google Play Store and download our new app. We can't wait to get involved with you. And that's going to finish up this episode of the Dead America podcast. Make sure you come back next week and follow along for another great interview. I'm Ed Waters, out.